Welcome to the Please Unmute Yourself podcast hosted by Columbia Business School's Cluster A, where we zoom in on hot topics in our lives during these unprecedented times while staying six feet apart. Our guests today are distant but social. So please, unmute yourself. Are we ready to get started? Yes, let's do it. Okay, cool. So we have Macron here, and he's going to be our first person on the podcast. So thanks for coming. The idea behind the podcast, like I mentioned, is just to get to know each other better. So first we can just start. Just tell me about your family and where you grew up. Sure. Uh, so um, I grew up in India. It's a small, there's a small town called Nagpur. It's, it's in the center of India. Fun fact about the town, it's the geographical center of the country. So it's there's a, there's a monument called Zero Mile where all the distances from India are measured. So yeah, it's a tier two city. It's, a, uh, it's landlocked from all the all four sides. It's it's as a hot climate. Wasn't as much fun growing up there, but uh, I loved it because I hadn't seen it in other places. But yeah, I loved growing up there. I had a small nuclear family. My parents, uh, my elder sister. For a while, we had my grandmother live with us, and occasionally we had uh, my grandfather also live with us. So I had one grandparent on either sides of my family, uh, my dad's and my mom's side with us uh, when I was, uh, yeah, uh, when I was growing up. Awesome. So definitely a lot of family time, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, it was like, uh, it was a lot of fun, like especially grandparents that like, I was the youngest grandchild child from both sides of my family. So we are like almost 21 cousins and I'm the youngest one of them. So a lot of love. <laughs> baby of all wow <laughs> what was the weirdest thing coming to the u.s so the, the biggest uh, shock was uh how quiet it was like especially uh, when i was in uiuc uh it's a small college town urbana champagne so not a lot of people on the even being in the campus not a lot of people on the streets so when i first moved in i was really scared to go out like in india if you go out at midnight there's at least 50 people in the streets <laughs> And here I'm going out in the middle of the afternoon when there's like hardly anyone on the street. I was like, is this, I was. I used to feel like I uh, being on the sets of I Am Legends, you know. So yeah, that was a little bit scary, but yeah, I got used to it. You must feel a little bit more at home in New York then. Uh, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely true. <laughs> cool. Well, so kind of going back to talking about your family, who is someone in your family that you look up to and why? That's a very interesting question. And then there's like, I, I didn't even think twice about it when you asked that question. Definitely my grandfather. Uh, so uh, specifically uh, my mom's uh, dad. So he's obviously the one person I like dearly love and look up to even now. So he has been always been my biggest cheerleader. Uh, like all his uh, since I remember, since I had memories. Uh, he always, uh, and because of I was his youngest grandkid, he was always, you know, he used to love me more than everyone else. So I kind of love that. <laughs> who, who doesn't love the uh, special treatment, right? So yeah, um, the, my parents were a little strict. So obviously, uh, my grandfather's love was uh, something I used to always look forward to whenever he used to come. He was the only person in in his entire family who was who had a college degree. In fact, in his, in his town, he was the first uh, individual to get a master's in sciences in the 1930s. So he was quite an inspiration to everyone in the town, and everybody used to look up uh, to him. 
and he was always a proponent of the education college education and everything which kind of resonated with me too because i was i always uh, my both parents were professors so obviously i grew up in a household where education and intellectual um, stimulation was always being prided on rather than materialistic pursuit that is one of the reasons i was like it's, it was like it was someone who i could aspire to be someone whose struggles uh, i i felt like were uh, very hard and he had to overcome a lot we had talked um previously about he started his own so he's a professor and then he started his own like community organizing tell me a little bit more about what that and his work with the community uh, i would take you back into the 1970s uh, early 1970s he's like freshly retired and he's like really looking forward um he's teaching students on the side obviously because that's his passion he's always been his passion and then uh, so the story goes that once uh, once he was uh, just having his morning walk and he saw a homeless person uh, like really hadn't had food for a long time hadn't had a bath for a long time and he felt really bad for him uh, really bad and uh, and then he brought him home he uh, he had he had him clothed he had gave him food and and he really cleaned him up and then uh, over the over the few next few months he really caught up with him tried to make him stand in all his feet gave him a job in the local market and he felt really uh, really thankful for that the, that experience and he decided that i i really want to do this more and i, I really enjoy doing this and that's how um, so he decided that every month he's going to feed uh, at least twice the number of people he had he had the last month and uh, and uh, my grandmother was on board with it so um, Uh, it was it was a fun like they used to cook food extra food every month and they used to feed people and this has grown uh, over time obviously and now we have a community soup kitchen that my family runs we we feed around uh, thousands of people but it all started with just one person and uh, that person also worked with the community kitchen for a long time and uh, yeah uh, yeah i'd be happy to talk more in details about it Yeah, that's wild. I mean, especially uh, you know, we're in business school thinking about scaling organizations. How do you double the previous people you serve every month? I mean, so how did your grandfather grow the soup kitchen? I always used to ask him like, "How did you manage this?" And the kids had all grown up by then and uh, they were all they they had all their uh, different lives. So, uh, one thing he always used to say that, you know, when you do good things, people uh, first people look at you like what are you doing and they try to find out what your motive is and once they find out there is no motive they join you and and this is how the system grows so uh, it started with just two people and then third person that my first the first person that my grandfather helped he joined in he brought in his friends and uh, the my family then later joined like my all is uh, all the all the kids of my grandfather like all my uncles aunts my mom and this is how it it, it just grew and like you know It used to be a fun weekend for us, so we used to uh, hold soup kitchen every month, one day a month, so like twelve day, twelve times a year. So it was a nice get together. Like we are, so we are like my mom is like five siblings, so they have like two or three kids. So we are like a good fifteen uh, twenty people we used to work on the soup kitchen, and we used to cook together. We used to uh, pool money together for the. Um, we never had any grants or anything. It was just like self self donations and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I I literally grew up uh, grew up in this environment. Like since I was a child, I've I've known that we serve so many people, and it's just been it's just been amazing experience for myself. And recently, actually, and the last three four years, we've started this uh, on a daily basis, and now we're almost feeding like 
two to three thousand people every day. Um, so it's not no longer just a monthly or a uh, yearly thing. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it has a lot of potential and it's just been growing. How did and your grandmother was just on board? She was like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it." Like, what was her role and how did she kind of steer the ship at all? Uh, it, it was a patriarchal uh, time at that time, so she uh, she definitely did not have a much say in it. But obviously, in the greater scheme of things, she loved the idea herself, and she most probably most uh, importantly, she wanted us, like all her grandkids, to uh, grow with the idea of empathy. Very important. I feel like they, uh, my parent, my grandparents, really instilled that value of empathy, like um, in me on a very, very, very young age. I, I can talk like one, one, one small uh, incidents I had when I was growing up. Uh, I think I was in like second grade uh, that I used to ask my uh, my grandfather, why are we feeding so many people for free? Like when because when I wake up late, my mom doesn't give me breakfast. Like uh, you know, my my mom was really strict. Well, I I woke up uh, if I wake after seven, I wouldn't get a breakfast and I have to make one. It's like why are we feeding so many people for free? So he asked me a very simple question back then. He was like. When did you have your last meal? Uh, I was like, just today morning, a couple of hours back before coming here. And uh, then he took me uh, to the people who were eating at the soup kitchen and he asked the same question to each of them. And the answers were pretty heartbreaking, to say the least. People would say anything between three days to uh, almost seven, eight days. Like, And that really, that really shook me. And uh, I felt ashamed of asking that question. But at the same time, I realized that there is so much we can do for so many people and uh, like it just takes a, a little bit of effort on your side so that that's kind of uh, the my earliest memories that uh, that how my dad uh, how my sorry um, grandfather really uh, uh, really instilled that uh, that quality and like that how to feel people uh, in front of you like what they are going through like that's something i feel like it's hard in this in these ages so uh, people don't have that so I'm really thankful for my grandfather uh, for teaching me that. And yeah, and obviously I learned a lot of cooking because I grew up in that <laughs> kitchen. So yeah, uh, that's kind of a, a really great memory of him I have. I was going to say that kind of connected to that, how has your grandfather impacted your life and values and I guess your hobbies in terms of cooking? <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny, like my grandfather used to uh, say this, uh, the Sanskrit uh, saying, it's a very old saying, Sanskrit saying, and he he says like uh, he 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 tends to live by that by that saying, and I'm I'm not sure if I'm speaking the right Sanskrit here, but the the, the, the saying goes as prathamam vidya dvitiyam dhanam tritiyam punyam chaturtham vim karoshi. So what the meaning of this is, uh, I'm sure I screwed up Sanskrit because I haven't uh, studied that for a long time now. <laughs> I'm sure not a lot of people would understand that, but uh, what it means is in a life, first you uh, first you gain knowledge. The second thing you uh, gain uh, is wealth, like the pursuit of knowledge followed by pursuit of wealth. And the third thing you uh, pursue is philanthropy through that uh, through the wealth that you acquire. And the four, uh, and when you do all these three things, there is no fourth thing left in your life to do. So, uh, so that's kind of very, uh, very deep saying that he used to tell me. And kind of, uh, I, I try to keep follow, and that's kind of my aim to in life that I follow these three phases of life. He followed himself. Wow, that is beautiful. What a what a powerful saying. And gosh, your grandfather sounds amazing. Um, any other thoughts or things that I didn't ask that you wanted to talk about? Uh, sure. Um, uh, 
I I would definitely love talk to about my cooking because a lot of my <laughs> friends and who uh, are close friends and know that I cook a lot. I cook decently. <laughs> uh, so that that has primarily been uh, because of I've uh, been part of the uh, soup kitchen. Obviously, uh, like when I was in like first or second grade, I obviously wasn't allowed inside the kitchen. But I uh, by uh, by but I wanted to help. So uh, they used to make me sort the veggies. From the good ones to the bad ones, uh, right? And I used to love them because it was a family activity. Every all my aunts and uncles and like cousins used to sit around and do the same thing. So it was a really bonding activity. I loved that. Fourth grade, I I think fourth or fifth grade, I really started. Uh, they uh, they gave me a knife to cut the veggies. <laughs> um, that was a big step. <laughs> And then I graduated slowly. I started cooking, um, uh, cooking curries and uh, rice and stuff like that. And uh, I think that my first big curry is the uh, so first curry I cooked entirely by myself was I think in eighth or ninth grade, and that was a curry for one thousand people. And that was like one container has like the, this huge pot of curry. It took around seven and a half hours to cook. and you had to be around there like you can't go uh, more than 15 minutes outside the kitchen so it's like hot as hell uh, but yeah that was one of the experience i still remember and uh, that's how i like at a very engage i i like cooking and i be, and i like feeding people too like it's not just like i love cooking but i like sharing um, a lot of food like uh, i cook but i don't eat I, i like sharing it with my friends so even when someone comes to my house even when friends or guests is drop by is always food for them i always make sure they eat something it's just like that's just that's how it just grow uh, that's this is part of being uh, you know uh, me uh, it's just like that's the experience i had and i like i really feel guilty if someone goes uh, uh, empty stomach from my house so so yeah that's that's kind of uh, one, the other aspect of uh, uh, that came out of uh, the family culture we have that's amazing well Thank you for sharing so much about your family and just about yourself and how you grew up. It's really amazing story here, especially around the holidays. In terms of the like the normal next segment, we would take questions from the cluster, which since this is the first podcast, I think we had some shy cluster mates. But I had a question for you. Tell me more about your love for Boston sports because I know you are an avid fanatic and I got to know how did you become such a Boston sports fan? That is true. I am a Boston sports fan. Um it's it's funny like growing up uh, it was all about cricket and cricket was everything uh, everything like I never even bothered to uh, learn any other sport uh, outside cricket but uh, when I came to Boston like I I did not realize how much sports is how big sports is like um and i i was a part of the team where most of my team my uh, team members were like in their late 40s and people in that age group are definitely into american sports so it, it was hard to communicate with them it was hard to connect with them so uh, and they uh, whenever i used to have conversations in the group with them they used to always talk about sports and was, uh, so it it began with like trying to connect with my team and then it ended up very weird i had the luckiest streak ever uh, in sports so uh, i got i was really uh, excited about okay let's try it out let's it's not a bad bad deal i saw some youtube videos and on nfl and i was like okay this sounds great let's try it out so the first game i ever see is the atlanta super bowl where atlanta is playing patriots and tom brady comes in with a 25 point 
from a 25 point lag to winning the super bowl in overtime the first super bowl ever to go overtime so the next year um that was 2018 and i uh, i decided to watch baseball because obviously the second biggest sport in boston is red sox and uh 2018 is when i think uh we go to uh world series first time and uh, after i think 3 or 4 years um uh per se so uh, i was like wow i started watching baseball and we go to world series the next year i start watching uh i think 2018 19 i think i saw i watched the started in a nhl the hockey and we went to stanley cup finals we lost yeah. there <laughs> and uh, and then uh, the next year i started watching uh, nba uh, that was my it's my least favorite sport but i still love it Uh, and we went to conference championship that year so i i feel like i'm naive enough to think that i'm the lucky charm for boston <laughs> uh but so that's how i like every time i started a sport it uh, we just excelled in it and that's just like it just gives you a good adrenaline rush so that's how i became an a boston sports fan and everyone around is as crazy as you are when you're in boston about sports so that kind of <laughs> exacerbates the situation and yeah you end up being a fan of this fan of the sports Oh yeah, you can definitely get yourself caught up in some crowd mentality in that city for sure. True, true. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat and to be the first person on our podcast. We're super excited to have you. And yeah, just thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me and uh, thank you so much for starting this initiative. Obviously, like uh, I really love the initiative and that's why I wanted to be part of it. Even the HCOA that uh, that the cluster has started, it's it's really wonderful and I think I've this are small things you don't know about people and you just when you uh, read these things it makes you feel more uh, human, more connected to your uh, classmates. So, I really love the efforts. Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I just feel like this year we all need a little more human interaction and human connection. So hopefully we get a little bit of that from this.